Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And today we are here with Katie, the Publicity Director for Season of Mist North America and CEO of Suspiria PR. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you both for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So to get things started, um, would you be... um, willing to just walk us through like your journey in the music industry and how you got to where you are. Yeah, totally. I'll try to make this as quick as possible because it has been a long and um, definitely not a very straight journey. It's it's had a lot of twists and, and turns yeah. away. So, um, you know, I really started in high school in my senior year. I'd always had a passion for music. There was really nothing that I really saw myself doing or caring about as much. You know, I mean, I'd be in the back of math class like thinking about what's Slayer doing, you know, like I just wasn't like, I, I I was trying to find ways to tie music into my work. And that started with me in middle school and carried all the way through college. And at 17, senior year of high school, I was an entertainment writer for my school paper. And, you know, my teacher kind of knew I was kind of like going on to college, a little lost, like not really sure where I want to go, knowing writing was a passion, but not really having any guidance. And he was the one that suggested, like, you should pursue music writing. Like, you're great at it. You're passionate for it. I bet, like, if there's a magazine you read all the time, you write them, like, they might be interested in your work. And he helped me get my portfolio together. My uncle, who was a professor as well at the time at, like, Pace or, like, Temple University or something, he um, helped me write my resume, my cover letter and everything. So I had a lot of help. And then I pulled the first magazine that I was reading at the time, which was absolutely metal edge. And I wrote them and just like, it was like snail mail. Okay. This is like 2007. I was 17. Actually, I think it was the end of 2006. I was 16 going on 17 and sent them everything and was just like, see what happens. And I didn't even hear from them for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Cause again, snail mail, whatever. And I just kind of lost hope. And then one night I was out and my mom called me and was like, you got this letter. So sure enough, I ended up kind of like really just by putting myself out there, ending up in this once in a lifetime thing as an intern and eventually a paid contributing writer for a metal edge. You know, I I got to go and cover a tool concert, one of my favorite bands ever, Marilyn Manson Slayer. Like it was really, really exciting. And um, from there, you know, I was also in college and juggling a lot, wasn't getting paid a lot. And signs were there that things weren't really going well. And, you know, at this point, by like 2009, I believe they fully went under. So things started changing. I left that. And then while I was in school, you know, kind of started thinking like, I need to get back into this. I I need how do I do it? Applied for a bunch of internships, got one at Sirius XM on um, the LGBTQ station and interning for them where I learned a lot and eventually worked with them again when they left Sirius and started their own station in New York. And that's actually what I was doing um, as one of my many jobs up until I started full-time at Season of Mist. But um, yeah, sorry, there's a lot. I've done so much. So It's cool. That's cool. Interning with them by fluke or by luck, 
who happened to be recording in the studio every Monday night, right around the corner from the show I was on, Eddie Trunk, who I'd been listening to since I was in middle school. Okay. Like one of my heroes, someone who I also like blindly wrote to at some point, like if you ever need help in any way, here's me unqualified, knowing nothing, but I love metal in your show. And he was there. So I eventually approached him and by fluke or by luck, right place, right time. It worked out where the woman that he was working with was transitioning out of the role. And I kind of happened to just barge into a studio one night when she ended up being unable to come in and was like, I'll help. And it was like, hey, she's actually, you know, not really working out for this. I ended up getting that. And then through there, Eddie helped open a lot of doors for me. I got a full-time marketing job at Universal. Um, He also, of course, introduced me to who I'm sure you guys know. You might have interviewed, and if you haven't, you should, Mr. Munzee Ricci, who is like, yes, yes, Munzee. We're going to have him back. Yeah. He is the OG of like radio promo. He has worked, you name a band, something you listen to, something you love, he's worked it. Um, so Munzee is really how I got my foot in the door with marketing and really realizing this is my niche. Like, yeah, I like writing, but, and I love radio, but this to me feels like a combination of all the things I love into like one role. And I just really fell into it without ever really considering that this had been like publicity and marketing had been, I really was so hyper-focused more on like the journalism side, radio, writing, podcasting, that kind of stuff. And realized, no, I think this is actually more for me. And from there, I eventually got my first full-time PR job, um, worked there for about a year. And then I started working for John Freeman, who I also know you guys. Matter of fact, I just was texting him right before this. Uh, we're going to be collaborating actually on a project together. So I was like, oh, I'm about to be on C-squared. I'll talk to you later. So I worked for Freeman for a couple of years, doing PR with him, doing tour press. And at the same time, doing a lot of other stuff. I mean, in between all that, in addition to publicity and radio, I was also doing, um, producing a podcast for Eddie Trunk, producing a couple other like random talk things. Like I did a podcast um, fill in for like Brandy Glanville, one of like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and stuff like that. So I produced a lot of not metal stuff at all, like a lot of like Bravo related things, um, which is a nice kind of side thing to have and kind of take a break from everything else and also get clued into like what's happening in the world outside of my little metal bubble. And um, I was a web editor at Revolver for a time as well, and also producing podcast properties for them. I feel like I'm missing a whole bunch of stuff, but there's, oh, and then of course I still write and contribute occasionally with the last big thing I did I wrote the um, memorial piece and cover story on Alexi Laiho and Bodom After Midnight for Outburn Magazine in April, 2021. Just a few things. Yeah. Oh, and I, I guess the other big thing I wrote recently would be the High Lung bio. That was through Season of Mist and the band basically was like, why don't you do it? We want you to write this. And I was like, wow, me? I was going to hire someone because I, I thought someone else might be more qualified. And um, they were really so blown away by that bio and that was meant a lot to me. So I still write, but I feel like it's more in-house for what I do with Season of Mist. Now, how did you get connected with Season of Mist and get started there? Well, first of all, it was a label I had been very aware of because of a lot of the extreme metal that, some of which isn't really on the label now that I work there, but had been since I discovered them, which would be like Mayhem, Watain, Septic Flesh, Rotting Christ, who is still there. And that actually 
was the first record and band I worked in full with Season Mist, which is pretty cool. Being oh, that which record? I, uh, it was the Heretics, the one that came out. In- yeah. Did you know? I can't figure out. This is the same cover artist. Oh, that's awesome, Maximus. Yeah, we had we Very we cool. were inspired by that cover artwork, and we're like, let's hire that guy. That's awesome. That is really cool. Um, yeah. So we that so they were a band that I liked. <clears throat> um, Souls to Fear, who I'm actually wearing their hoodie now. I went with a gold theme. Druk, another one that I was aware of. It's an ensemble. You have a Luke. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but then when I was with Freeman. Seasonimist had hired us to work the Nabla Viscaris record, the one um, prior to the album that's coming out now. Um, I worked the record. I've literally just talked about it and the name escapes me for some reason. Um, but yeah, so that's how I first met Gordon, who's my boss now at Seasonimist. And that was the first time I had been involved. I did the tour in particular around that record, um, which was, I believe, like 2017. And then, um, you know, it kind of, towards like the end of 2018 was just in a real transitional part of my life where I was living in New York at the time, the property I was living in was being sold. So I was going to have to move. Rent was just like becoming completely unaffordable in all of New York, not even like it was even unaffordable where I was living in Staten Island, which is usually like cheaper. Um, And on top of that, you know, I just felt like I was working at that point, like three or four jobs and just wanted to really focus and have something a little more stable and full-time. So there was just a couple of factors happening. And I knew that there were some changes going on because we had been contacted once again, me and Freeman by Season of Mist to work Rotting Christ, Beyond Creation, and Hate Eternal. And um, at that point, not long after, I saw the listing a good friend and another publicist who, again, you should know about an interview if you haven't, Shannon Void. She does like Wake, Imperial Triumphant, like a lot of really sick bands. She posted the listing. And as soon as I saw that, just something clicked. And I was like, I'm getting this job. You know, I'm getting this job. And I feel too, there was a lot of other stuff that made me not just moving to Philly and and somewhere where rent was affordable or, um, you know, having this full-time job that just felt like made for me working with bands it was made for, but I knew a lot about Michael and Gordon at that point, my bosses and their values and ethics and the way they felt about free speech and free expression and felt like this is also a place where I shared the same values. So I'll fit in very well. Yeah, that's super important to have that value match. Yeah. Um, Well, let's just dive right into um, asking about Blackbraid. I the general question topic is what are the differences between doing PR for uh, a label band versus an independent band? But can you tell us about your approach to the Black Braid campaign in particular? Because we brought that up on a previous podcast. Totally. I actually really appreciated you guys bringing me up and the compliment of being one of the best. I do appreciate that. And I will say when it comes to cult and niche black metal, that is where I thrive. Although weirdly, I've, I'm becoming like also like this secret like gent prog person as well with a lot of other stuff we have happening. But um, that has been something that has been a primary focus for me for years and where I've made the most connections. But in any case, um, when you guys had mentioned that, it's kind of funny because I have a very different and unique position with Black Braid. And on the last record, I really did not handle much of the outreach. A lot of that, I, I came in very late, first of all. 
Um, we had been connected by a mutual friend, Jeremy Saffer, who's a photographer, the editor of Outburn, and someone that, you know, I consider a very good friend. And he had recommended me. And at that point, there really wasn't much meat on the bone because a lot had been coming to them because they had no label, no support. So they were their own contact and team, the manager and the artist. And they really fielded a lot of that. And um, for me, the people that were coming to me were also ones that either already had a direct connection to them or just a couple of people that hadn't come to me previously or hadn't been aware of them, maybe that I did reach with my press release. But there weren't a lot. A lot of people had been very aware of them. And I really believed in this band. I had already they'd been on my radar. Um, They actually at some point was something we considered at season of mist but again like they were just so deep into that album cycle with already putting stuff out there um so anyway yeah i really wasn't in much of an outreach role it really came down to it was more of like a goalie and more of just kind of like what gets in what gets out because the amount of requests are just really overwhelming and truthfully i i can't take much credit because that really was them in their own digital marketing and being smart about it, partnering with black metal promotion for everything and reaching their core audience using bandcamp which is a huge tool discovery and you guys actually spoke about that on that same episode where you mentioned me in black braid and that's very true and they absolutely knew how to utilize that um and by that i mean uh black braid the artist as well as his manager Um, because both of them were integral parts of that puzzle. But really, it was the two of them that brought all this together. So now I'm flipped the role and I'm in a different position with this tour that they have with Decibel Magazine, where I'm in way more of an outreach position, because there's going to be a lot of blind spots that aren't necessarily aware of the band when it comes to major regional newspapers or magazines and stuff that isn't typically plugged into metal. So I'm looking forward to that side of it. Um, We already got started on it. I have so many requests that I, again, I can't even start approving them. Usually for big tours like this, for Black Braid, for High Long, I wait to approve because it's just, I know I'm going to have way more requests than I have actual guest list spots, which is a good problem to have. It sucks to have that problem, but on the grand scheme of things, it's a good problem. So I just thought it was kind of interesting because I really was not involved in any of the marketing on Black Braid. And I wish I could take credit for that because, you know, what they did was genius is really focusing. They knew how to get on Spotify playlists and pitch. I'm like, I've been pitching bands for years to these playlists and it's like a miracle when we get one and they figured it out, crack the code that no one else seems to crack. So yeah, they just had a really smart digital approach that made things really easy for me. Um, I had a quick question just on the tour versus the album uh, cycle, like when you're doing promotion on it. So do you find it easier then to do tour promotion, are you saying? Oh, 100%. I prefer tour promotion for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, in particular, metal is very niche. I'm reaching out to the same couple of blogs, the same couple of magazines, you know, when something new comes along, it's usually smaller and only maybe really makes sense for a certain type of artist, not necessarily everything on the label. It's hard to find those bigger mainstream placements when it comes to album press. I feel album press can be very predictable and it's even becoming more DIY the more it evolves, where it's more about producing digital content. And even places like Loudwire and Metal Injection have now kind of put the ball in the band's hands. Like, 
here are some instructions, film yourself doing or saying, or, you know, answering X, Y, Z. Um, everything is just becoming very much more DIY and very much about having a digital profile on YouTube, on Spotify, on social media. So this is something that's shifting, I think, album publicity, because it's everyone kind of needs to do their own part, not just the publicist. And the reach is really, you know, unfortunately for metal, especially when it becomes to more cult things, tends to have a ceiling. But when you have a tour and now you have this regional tie-in and you have these hidden writers all across the country who are secret metal fans or can appreciate metal, even if they're not fans themselves. And that's how you kind of break into that world. I, you know, for example, Cloak are a big thing right now. We have a new record coming for them. And we're in a unique position where they have a tour right before we announce the new record. So we've already started teasing it, letting people know it's coming. The band is out there on the road right now playing two new songs, one that they've played before on some of the last tours, one they've never played prior to that. And we're using this as a tool to start building the foundations. And again, he's someone else. I literally just looked right before we're doing this, answering messages. I was just talking to Scott from Cloak. He was just sending me some of the stuff. You know, we just did something big piece with Not Best. We got something with Cincinnati Music. And one I'm personally really proud of because it's off the beaten path is the Miami New Times, especially as them being a band from a neighboring state, that being Georgia. So we, I feel, you know, without this tour, we wouldn't have these opportunities and we'd have to wait till that album announced. And we wouldn't have these various places that are reaching new audiences. Um, not that metal press isn't reaching new audiences. I mean, just kind of reaching people outside the beaten path and outside of the traditional metal world. So just to follow that up, sorry, Ali, I'm, I'm sticking on the topic here. Uh, so you got a band like Black Braid. Um, they're unique. Um, now, how do you kind of pitch a tour then where the band isn't necessarily so unique? Like you got Archspire, who's got the Juno angle type thing, but you got, what would you, how how would you kind of handle the tour press for a band that doesn't have something that's kind of like unique, like one of those two bands out of curiosity? Um, I think that it's really just about being creative and figuring out what those marketing highlights are. And it doesn't always necessarily have to be something standout or unique. Sure, it helps to be like this band got a Juno. They got number one spots on Billboard and, you know, they were on a Jason Momoa TV series. And also they're working on a Hollywood production for their next music video. And like, yeah, you have a band like Archspire or Heilong as well, who come with all of these incredible licensing mainstream placements. Um, and yeah, that helps also when breaking into a more mainstream outlet, especially with Heilung, who were in places like the Telegram, New York Times, um, there was the Guardian. I mean, there was a lot of big press and that I can't take credit for that it was really predominantly done in the European office as well as hold tight PR. But in any case, you know, but Heilung, my approach with them, again, was just that tour press and getting them in places like CBS and things like that. So um, we, and, and doing kind of like creative stuff, like again, doing the TikTok angle, we did some stuff for TikTok with little punk people um, and just kind of trying to expand their digital profile. But um, when it comes to a band, let's say like Wormhole, right? Same kind of world as Archspire. 
And this is a band that doesn't necessarily have the same accolades behind them. They were not in a TV show with Jason Momoa. They do not have a Juno Award. And quite frankly, as an American band, unfortunately, will never be nominated for a Grammy because Ozzy Osbourne is just going to win forever. And they're <laughs> Muse and Jethro Teller metal bands. I mean, madness in this country. Um, and you know, will they chart on Billboard? I don't know if that's going to be the case. That's also a very rare anomaly for our bands, especially to chart as high as a band like Archspire or Highlong, for example. But, you know, we have we have cool imagery. We've got SpongeBob SquarePants with that Stay Tech logo. And that's something that's going to hook people because this is something that's different or just can grab you visually. Um, a band like uh, Cloak, I mean, I would say, yes, they are unique, especially being um, a younger band that is combining a lot of traditional elements with a lot of modern elements. And they're giving a very fresh makeover to an older sound. But at the same time, there's a lot of bands doing that in different genres. But for me with them, again, visually, artistically, their whole aesthetic is just like a full package that you can present. And to be fair, Cloak also, I guess, stands out because they do have the accolades behind them. They do have the reviews and they've made it on very massive end of year lists like Decibel Magazine and stuff like that. So, but when it comes to like a smaller band that's still building a profile, um, usually you just figure what else it's going to grab them. Is it going to be an, a specific image? Weed Eater, it's just the name. People are just like, I want to check out this band called Weed Eater that drinks cough medicine and whiskey on stage. I just find the hook. That. Yeah. Because you know how you want to come out to this show tonight, bring your own cough medicine and Jim Bean. Then there you go. There's your tagline. Who wouldn't want to come to that? Party tag, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Leah, I've taken us off the beaten path, but we have talk talked about an awful lot. So you got to get us yeah. back on track. Well, the track is the open road, my dude. Um, Fair. But I do want to ask, are there any, like, are there any behaviors, like, apart from just having unique music, unique image, are there any behaviors that bands, newer bands can do that make them stand out to you? Um, I think one that everyone can do and should do is just keeping a very um, active social media presence and finding that fine line between oversharing and, and posting 10 things a day, because that also just hurts the algorithm. You know, I hate that the algorithm, but uh, let's be real. This is the world we live in. And these are things we got to worry about. Um but at the same time, you don't want to disappear, have an album out in 2019 and then have like four posts between them and your next album in 2023. So you need to kind of find that medium. And I mean, we have a lot of bands, newer and younger, that have figured that out uh, when it comes to older bands, Souls to Fear, Rotting Christ, bands I don't work with, I would say Behemoth all have figured that out and figured out how to utilize their social media in a way that's um, very engaging and makes people feel like they're a part of something bigger. And again, they're not oversharing, but they're sharing the right amount. And then for newer bands, I would definitely say Voyager and Gadia, two very different bands from totally different worlds. You've got one that's the bright, colorful, guitar, feel-good band, and then you've got the complete all black, nihilistic, life is meaningless, like abysmal black metal band. Um, ironically in this situation, the black metal band is the one writing the eight minute 
long songs and not the gent bands. <laughs> but um, in their cases, both of them have found their voice, their personality. Everything that Gedea posts is very philosophical, very poetic, very dark, very stark, very monotone visually, but also very enticing. Um, Voyager, on the other hand, lots of emojis, lots of color, lots of flair, lots of pop, lots of goofiness. I mean, you got to follow this man. They are just, a, they're just fun. They just posted a TikTok the other day and Ernie Ball like endorsement. And it was just so much fun. I don't, I'm not even a guitarist and this was a blast to watch. So, um, you know, it's just about finding your voice, finding what works for you and also having a brand. I know no one likes to hear that, but bands are brands. And if you really want to go to the next level, bands are businesses. Kiss figured that out. High Lung figured that out. Archspire figured that out. Like when you look at some of the most successful bands, they're bands, brands, and a business. Um, what do you? <laughs> what do you think are some big mistakes that bands make, uh, or big things that bands should think about when they're trying to figure out their brand? Um, I think, first of all, thinking that just signing to a label or getting a publicist is going to flip this magic switch and suddenly open doors for you that weren't there before. At the end of the day, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, you still need to to work. And there's bands who are comfortable taking the Druk approach. I'm not doing interviews. I'm not fucking touring. I'm writing music. You're putting it out. And that's the end of that. And it works. This is easily one of the biggest of the like cult underground black metal bands. And now um, with them being Ukrainian, uh, we're definitely seeing a whole new wave of fans just starting to flock to them right now. And so they're catching a huge second wind. Um, And that's without, but you can do that, but it really doesn't, not every band's going to work for like it does for Droop. Um, And we see that we see bands are like, no, I'm going to take that uh, I'm not going to post anything on social media and they can have a brilliant record. But at the same time, like that formula, that band's been around forever. It, it works better for a band that's been here since like the early 2000s and the 90s versus a band that just came in this century. Um, and again, the newer you are, the more you need to start building your foundations and people just kind of come in thinking that those foundations are just going to be provided for them. And even bands coming to me to do PR independently It's kind of like, why are you spending your money on this? Because honestly, I'm not going to get you anything you can't get on your own in certain bands. I mean, certain bands, yes, I can, because there might be more potential there. But sometimes it's like, if you don't have a label to support this and you have money to spend, invest that in something bigger, invest it in advertising on social media, invest that in a music video. And it's not to say a publicist isn't valuable because yes, it is. And you again, some bands will take the DIY approach, end up like Black Braid, where you do eventually need someone to step in because it becomes a lot to handle as one person. But for the basic band that's not really going to tour, this is a side project. It's not really going to be something that, you know, you're going to have a full-time job with someday. It's just a project. Invest that elsewhere. And again, having a publicist and a label is just not a magic switch. It might be a way for you to get noticed by certain people or get into certain spaces. But at the end of the day, your music speaks for itself. We can't make someone like something if they don't like it. Um, Just the same as, you know, we can't um, necessarily get something to pay attention to something that they're just not interested in, but we do what we can. But yeah, I think that's the biggest misconception or mistake is just people think this, uh, I'm going to get this now. I'm going to get a label. I'm going to get a publicist. 
And then I'm just going to make a record, put it out, and I'm not going to do anything. Or all of a sudden, I'm just going to be the next Watain. I hate that so much. Yeah. Um, just as a quick follow up on that. So um, what do you do then? So if someone come, approaches you independently, like for you independently, rather, um, they want PR. You don't think they're ready for it. How do you kind of let them down and tell them the right thing to do without you know, kind of burning a bridge. I mean, I'm honest and I've definitely made that mistake and have been like, I could do this and then realized I bit off more than I can chew. And in those yeah. situations, all you could do is own it, apologize and figure out how to fix it. You know, starting a business, I definitely did it on a complete whim and definitely was kind of like um, in a place where I knew that I was already overwhelmed, but at the same time, the opportunity wasn't going to wait for me and I had to just jump into it. And that definitely had a negative impact and put me off to a bit of a rocky start. But like anything is a learning experience. And I'm, you know, lucky to be in a situation where people are understanding, they know my work ethic otherwise. And again, you know, um, the worst thing you could do is not own it. The worst thing you could do is ignore it. And that's something that it's like, all right. And the same thing too is being honest now. And so if someone comes to me and it's like, I need you, I want you to work X, Y, Z. I really don't have the time to, I'm sorry, you know, or you know what? I am going to cost a lot. And quite frankly, if you have $3,000 lying around for a three month campaign, like why don't you just invest that into something else? Um, so it's just like, it kind of depends. And I like to be honest. And at the end of the day, I'm not even necessarily going by taste because there's plenty of bands that I would love to work with because I like them and I like their music and I believe in it. But at the same time, I know what I'm capable of. At Season of Mist, I'm in a dual role where in addition to being a director, I also handle all of the product management for all the countries on this side of the Atlantic, as well as Australia. So there's an added layer of organization and asset delivery that the typical publicist does not necessarily have to do in their day to day. And that's also something I'm trying to keep out of my business and where I could be in a situation where someone else is going to serve that product manager role where I can just be the publicist and put my limited time and availability into that and getting those results. And independent artists don't come with that. Um, and a lot of them are not self-organized enough to do that on their own. Black Braid is, they're very, they came in already as a well-oiled functioning independent machine, but not many others are, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be the person, I mean, well, no, it's not true. I definitely could be a jerk to people, but, um, and sometimes maybe needlessly so. And sometimes, sometimes you need to be. Sometimes you need to be, and sometimes it seems like a small thing setting me off, but it's like, no, you were the third person today to spell my name wrong. And my name is the email and it is in the email. Why are you spelling this wrong? You're not ESL. You do not have an excuse, American speaking person. You know, I, I, there's certain things that I do get frustrated with, um, that it's just like, or, um, now my new thing is obviously having Katie at season of miss Katie at Suspiria. I get the mistakes happen and you send emails to the wrong address. But like, you have to understand, like my company hours happen during my company time and my season of missed hours door happen during my season of missed time. And while there might be some overlap with one or the other um, at this, I don't, I try to avoid that majorly because I just think that's unprofessional to be working for one person, but using that time elsewhere. And um, if I get an email sent to season of missed, especially from someone who's on my press list, 
who gets my emails, who gets my press releases, who's on my Facebook, who's seen every post. And I'll just be like, Hey, you, you emailed the wrong email. And then when it's just like, no, I emailed you at season of miss this band's on season of miss, right? It's like, no, now I might, I might be a little bit of a jerk because I just don't have the patience. Like it's easy, common sense. I swear my job would be so much easier and I'd get so much more done if more people had common sense. And I wasn't constantly having to backtrack and like correct things and reorganize things. So. Yeah. Well, common sense ain't so common as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, can you tell us a little bit more about Suspiria PR? Yeah, that was super random on a whim. Not really. I mean, it's something I'd wanted to do for years is eventually go out on my own. And I guess with everything in life, there's just really no right time to do it. You just got to do it. You know, when you're waiting, especially when you're as busy as someone like me and um, have as many responsibilities, there's really no right time for anything, you know, it goes to like getting my cat. I knew I wanted a cat and it was just like this cat came and in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going away this summer. Can I have this cat? It's like, I'm going to go away all the time. I need to get a cat and get used to the idea of this and make it work. And yes, this, this is the time to get this or whatever. And it's the same thing with this company where it's just been an idea I had. And, um, I would say it beyond the gates. I definitely had a very, um, like life-changing experience there this past summer with a lot of stuff happening in my career, in my personal life, all kind of like a lot of positive and a lot of negative. Like I spoke, I remember at the very end of beyond the gates at the after party, the final night, speaking to a friend of mine and both of us kind of being like this week we and she worked somewhere else in a different role and we both were just like this week we each had like the hot some of the highest moments of our career and some of the lowest it was extreme and you know it kind of started getting me to thinking about um kind of what I wanted to do beyond what I was already doing and also just kind of thinking about my long term and my future and ways I can invest in myself And as I'm having these thoughts and also too, when I was there, I had a conversation with another good friend. This is one you might not know. Her name is Jana Wilbricht. She is German, but she's in Bergen and she actually um, works as doing a lot of stuff for indigenous music um, artists, both in Europe, America, everywhere. She's a, a PhD in this and she's really got a very interesting, unique backstory and very unique contributions to metal. And we had a really nice heart to heart in a coffee shop one night and just really hearing a lot of her like kind of achievements and stuff she was doing was also just really inspiring. So again, all I'm coming back with all of this and just thinking a lot. And within days of coming home, I get an email from an agent who I work with, with Weed Eater actually saying, hey, how much would you charge for a goblin tour? And it's um, Claudio Simonetti, it's the real goblin. And he's coming here playing Suspiria for the 45th anniversary. And I was just like, this is it. Like, I can't say no to that. Suspiria is one of my favorite movies ever. I have such admiration for Claudio Simonetti. Um, This was just something so iconic. And also just being as obsessed with horror as I am metal, this to me felt like a way to invest in myself and open some new doors and start traversing into some horror territory as well as metal. So it was a three month tour, very grueling undertaking as most tours do not last three straight months with like no days off. Um, And like a random detour to Japan. It was a very strangely routed tour, but it was very rewarding in a lot of ways. It sold out like crazy. They were adding matinees and second nights because of the high demand. 
And, um, you know, getting that opportunity was like, I got to just go out on my own. Like I need to do this. And then I started thinking about like, what would my company name be? And I'm like, Suspiria, because I love this movie and what Suspiria means, um, in Italian, it's roughly translated to whisper or sigh. And I being so loud and PR being such a vocal job, just thought there was just some sweet irony in calling my company Suspiria, like synonymous with whisper. So, um, it all just felt so right. I can't even think of an alternative of what I would ever want my company to be named other than this. Cause it just felt perfect. And literally a week later, the black braid opportunity came. So at this point, it just kind of felt like this is the time to do it. Like the time is now the signs are here. These opportunities aren't going to be here again if I don't say yes now. So let's do this. So, yeah. And then since then it really worked out because in addition to that, you know, I was doing a lot of work separately with these Norwegian festivals since 2019, um, starting with tons of rock beyond the gates and then Inferno festival. So this also allowed me to take on a bigger role with them, which ironically we had discussed back in 2019 with Inferno Fest, I was supposed to take on a bigger, broader PR role, really encroaching on American PR for them in 2020, April 2020 specifically. So needless to say that never materialized. And when Inferno finally came back in um, 2022, um, that conversation hadn't really been revisited. I figured, yeah, like they got to get this festival on the road. Like I'm sure this is the last thing on their minds and I hoped it would still work out, but I wasn't, I didn't want to, you know, be let down because I knew the reality that things that happened and were true in 2019 may not still hold true. And then in um, December, uh, all things kind of just really aligned and we, uh, myself and Leticia, who is my coworker at Season and Mist? She does our digital marketing for, um, and, and she also works in the European office. We both ended up, you know, being hired to kind of take on this new initiative, which is kind of just really targeting some of the core territories where ticket buyers are for these festivals, and just kind of like expanding on that and expanding on the interest and really kind of just finding ways to um, make these festivals bigger here in America, as well as certain key territories in Europe. Awesome. We are actually completely out of time. Oh my God, I know. I'm sorry, guys. I talked forever. (laughs) Oh, no need to apologize. Um, No need to apologize. If you're willing to come back sometime, we'd love to have you. Um, Any final words for our listeners? like mostly our listeners are either industry people or they are younger bands that are just starting their their own promotion or they're looking for answers about pitching themselves. So any final words to these people? Yes. Get your shit together. Mm. <laughs> get your shit together. Just get your shit together. Just do That's it. Good. That's it. Because you don't know how, you don't have to be most talented. You don't have to be um, the, the, the best or the biggest or the most unique, just get your shit together, work the hardest, be the most organized because believe it or not, there is a band out there better than yours, but they're way more disorganized and they're not going to get to where you are. If you're going to get your shit together. Yep. Get your shit together. Excellent. Yep. Thank you so much again for coming on everyone listening. I hope you learned something. I learned a lot. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.